Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I get to serve on the team with Converge Northeast. And I am excited to bring you a bonus episode today, an extra release, two releases in one day. How about that? We, our last episode, episode six, was our interview with Doug Melder. And if you haven't listened to that, I'd encourage you to listen to that one actually first. It's a great conversation that we had together and you'll get to hear Doug's story. But as an added bonus this week, we also wanted to bring you Doug's keynote address from our inaugural Evergreen One Day event in June of 2022. I think actually it was May. I have my dates mixed up. It was May of 2022. Either way, last spring, last summer, uh, we had a great gathering. We had about 60 leaders come together. And the conversations that we had, we were gathered around tables, around these core principles. It was really the kickoff, the first time we did anything official under this idea of the evergreen way. And Doug's leadership there was great. It's an interesting uh, keynote because you're going to see there's kind of two parts to it. And and I I think this will translate okay, but it's good for you to know going in. He first kind of shares, presents a kind of typical keynote address, which I think you'll find great. But then he actually interacts with the audience and asks some questions about what they observed about the way that he was communicating and what, and breaks down some principles of communication as well. So I hope you enjoy this. Just to mention one more time, we have our second Evergreen One Day, a summit uh, coming up June 21st in Avon, Connecticut. June 21st, Avon, Connecticut. We would love to see you there. This is for leaders uh, who are looking to develop their own spiritual formation, to develop an effective communication, kingdom leadership, and spiritual friendship. And we have a very special, innovative day uh, that will be very interactive. So here is Doug Melder's keynote address from the Evergreen One Day in 2022. Imagine you are a goalie. There's a penalty shot. The ball is 12 yards away from you. It's going to come at about 500 milliseconds in time. The bad news is you've got about 650 milliseconds that you need to react and be able to reach one of the posts on either of the 24 feet from you to have a chance at making a stop. The ball's gonna come at about 80 miles per hour on average. Now I'm gonna do something called a body pull. You're gonna actually use your body to vote. Which way are you gonna jump? Left or right? Three, two, one, vote with your bodies. Okay. Many people went to the left. A smaller amount of people went to the right. Everybody that leaned one way or the other sit down. If you didn't lean, stay standing. All right. Those of you that didn't lean, why didn't you lean? It's either number one, you didn't understand my instructions, or number two, you know something that somebody else doesn't know. So which is it? Anson? I'm sorry? Left or right, doesn't matter. Good question though, so you can sit down. You don't know the thing I'm looking for. (laughs) What about you? 
Say it louder, like boost the voice 20% and give it to me again. <laughs> okay, you're, you're getting close, but you're not quite there, so you sit down too. Who's got the answer? You are, everybody can sit down now. You all fell into my trap. And the right answer, if you want the highest likelihood of stopping the ball, the highest probability is to actually stay exactly where you are. This is called the action bias. It's a very famous social psychological term. And the action bias is it's not very fancy. It's just the idea that we think by moving and doing something, we're doing the right thing. When in fact, the best thing is sometimes to stand still. Stay in one spot. Now, do goalies get lucky? Yeah. Do they pay attention to the little ticks? Yes. That still happens. They still make saves here and here. But the probability says you should stay in one spot. That's what we call the action bias. Now, you may feel in your leadership that people will judge you as a failure if you don't do something, if you take more time, that the failure to act would be a failure of your leadership. And the action bias was actually say that's not true. Most of the time, when we are in the midst of what I would call the frenzy, so projects, decisions, challenges, problems that you're trying to solve. Doesn't matter how macro or micro they are. Sometimes the best thing, the highest probability of you doing the right thing is to actually stay still. We might call that stepping back or stepping still. To take a few days or hours even moments at times, to think about it, to pray about it, to be more thoughtful. Zero ten on your fingers. I'm going to give you ten seconds to do this, and then I want to actually see zero to ten fingers. I want you to think of, in your life, how many decisions, problems, projects you have that you can think about right now? How many decisions, projects, problems, macro to micro, can you think about right now? And for each one of those things, I want you to put up a finger. Does everybody understand? Answer, are you okay on this one? All right, ready? 10 seconds starts now. This one's not a test, I'm just asking you a question. Three, two, one. All right, let me see your hands. What we got? Brandon, can you look around the room and do an average for me? You have a collar on, so I know you're the smartest pastor in the room, so come on. It's about 10, okay? And some of you are thinking, can I do this? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. You can do this, all right? Let, let's hear what some of those are. So someone just shout out, what was one of the fingers? Just give, me an, give us an example. Broken windshield. Okay, broken windshield. Completely personal, really annoying. What else? Date night with my wife. Date night with your wife. 
okay. Not sure where that's gonna go. I'm gonna leave that alone. That could be you need ideas to all kinds of other things, all right? So thank you for the vulnerability. What else? What else? Six-year-old wedding the bed. Okay, great. What else? Staffing. Staffing. Thank you. We're going into like professional side now. Okay, what else? <laughs> Staff wetting the bed. Any of that? <laughs> All right. So I've got a couple in my mind, and I'm not like pulling trump cards here, but you know, my organization, uh, it's a global organization, the one that I run. I run the day-to-day operations. I'm the COO. And uh, we, we have to trim, because of the market conditions right now, about $3 million out of our budget starting next Monday, because our top 20 clients are clients that you've known about, and if you pay attention to them, and we have them all on Google Nerds, alerts, and a lot of them call us and they tell us what's going on, they're doing layoffs and their budgets are freezing, and so that will have downstream effects on my business. And, Q3 and Q4, so I've got to prepare now while I have time so the cuts aren't too deep, hitting too much bone. So I've got to make those decisions. In the next 24 hours, been working on it since the weekend. So I've got mine too. Dave also has me preaching in a few weeks here because this is my home church, which I love. So I've, I, I need to finish the sermon as well. Okay, so I've got a couple. You have a bunch, uh, many that you probably think, I don't really want to share this in the room, but, but here's what it is. You know, I was a pastor for 15 years. I'm obviously still a pastor. Now I just take the really great preaching weekends um, when he asks me, and then I only take the really great weddings, okay? That's like my, it's my philosophy for how I do that now. Um, so the weddings I have this year are in Santa Barbara and the French Alps. So I think that, like, that's pretty good, right? Okay, so you know, I said no to Jersey. Um, so, When I was a pastor, stepping still was so much more difficult than it is for me now running a global organization and I, I don't really have a boss. It was so much tougher when I was vocationally a pastor for 15 years. And you all know why and I know why because we can rationalize the work. And we rationalize it because we can spiritualize it. Like, I'm, I'm, the, the sheep are calling, the sheep have needs. You know, I, I, I gotta do this, I gotta respond to this, there's this crisis. And I, I, just like you, like my, my congregation, the one where I spent most of my time was in the middle of the university area and it was very common for me to be working on a sermon, go up to the, the mental hospital to floor six, make a visitation, sit with a couple going through something challenging, go home, try to squeeze in dinner, and then come back for the elder meeting. Like, I, I get it. But we still need to learn how to step still. All right, I'm gonna come back to that. All right, there's no shame in this question, no shame at all, no judgment from me. But we're gonna talk about fast food, okay? So, um... A week ago, my wife got a call on Monday morning. Uh, it was the call we were expecting. Good news, her sister's going into labor. Uh, bad news, her sister lives in Austin, Texas. 
Further bad news, I was working the entire week with a pretty packed schedule, and amazingly, with all the technology that we have, we still can't predict when babies are coming. Okay, so this is not a good week for me. We have our four kids, um, who honestly, I don't really remember the ages, but they're roughly like teenager down to seven. Um, and then we also have a dog, also a boy. And then we uh, also had a foster baby uh, named Amelia. We've had her for 16 months. So the call came at 8.15. I dropped Amy off at the airport at 11.30, uh, luckily in Manchester, so I didn't have to drive super far. And then I was solo for six days with six creatures. And, and I mean that in like the total theological sense, like they're just not the creator, they're the creature, right? So um, when you are in a frenzied situation like that and you've got to bounce between all the things with kids or yourself and spouse or partner and friends, raise your hand if you ever just mail it in sometimes for dinner and, and you go into the fast food restaurant. Amen. Yeah, Okay. Great, and we like can spiritualize it and like do the Chick-fil-A thing, right? I get it, and you go to Hobby Lobby next door. So the, the point is this, not always the best decision. Doesn't feel so great afterwards, but it can fill them up a little bit right away. You tracking with me so far? Now, before I was a pastor, which was before I was a global business person, uh, I was a chef, so like, Got to be the only one. I'm thinking that's a really rare Venn diagram uh, overlapping. Someday, if you ever meet somebody like that, please introduce me to them. Uh, so in lieu of the fast food restaurants, uh, I've tried to steer the kids a little bit more something healthy and kind of, you know, if I know I got a busy evening or I'm going to be by myself like I was last week, uh, you know, I can't make them like my signature dish, which, by the way, is a prosciutto-wrapped scallop that's seared and then dripped with a fig balsamic reduction. You're welcome to come over anytime you want. <laughs> but what I have learned is that if I do a little slow cook meal for the kids and I drop it in like in between a couple things during the morning, then it's ready when I need it and it's just sort of self-serve and it's like, yeah, eat it when you need to. I'll run you where you need to. And so my favorite right now they really like is the I make some homemade lamb meatballs in the crock pot recipe on the lunch, no problem, okay? What's the point? <laughs> well, fast food is a legit tool. I'm not throwing shade at it. I've done it, I do it. I even do the crappy hot dogs in Target, okay? Also a good tool is a slow cooker. When we are frenzied, slow, is almost always better than fast. Think about all those frenzied things that you were just thinking about. When we are the most frenzied, slow is often better than fast. Can anybody think of a biblical antecedent for that? And think of a biblical example of when there's a frenzy, slow is modeled for us instead of fast. Anybody got one? I'm going to need a little more Sunday school. Yeah, but more. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't need a chapter in first, but I'm going to need some specific examples. I saw your hand in the back. Go ahead. 
Yeah, what did he do? Stayed where he was. Stayed where he was. Okay, Jesus needs so quick here. Okay, what else? Yep. Jericho, walking around the wall. I think it was 13 times total, right? All right, what else? Yeah? Good. A command to do it. Wow. What else? Really, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> High five, sister. I'm with you. So, like, for me, yes. Like, the two best examples are Jesus. And you're touching on one. I didn't think about that one, so thank you. Um, awesome. Didn't think about those. Um, but for me, like, two things. Number one, Jesus was notorious. The busier and more frenzied it got, the more often he would do what? He would withdraw. Our little foster daughter, she has these little phrases like they do at 16 months, and one of her phrases is, where'd he go? And she say that about all the boys. Like, oh, he was just in front of me. Where'd he go? And it's like, you can see the disciples all the time. Like, we're doing all this. We're doing the ministry. We're doing the thing. Where'd he go? He's gone. And he's trying to model it for him. Jesus was notorious for that. Other example Jesus was notorious for? Anybody got it? Boom, gold star. I do not give out gold stars easy. You just got a coveted Doug Gold Star. That is a huge deal, all right? Theologically, I think he was sleeping because he was tired. He knew he had a handle. He was notorious for standing still, withdrawing, retreating, pulling back. The more frenzied it got, the worse that storm got, the more he did it. Now, tell you a little bit of a story about my pandemic days. So before the pandemic, I did about 325,000 miles a year. So that's uh, roughly uh, 13 times around the world. Um, Local trip for me was San Francisco because I didn't need to use a passport. I would love those trips. Um, Most often I was going to Europe couple times a month, and then lots of trips to Asia and the Middle East. A best conversation I've ever had with anybody about Jesus has happened in the Middle East. Um, tell you that story another time. And when COVID hit, just boom, full stop for two years. And fast forward to July, the pandemic, that's right when we were in between, like, being told we should inject this into our arms and that this other thing was gonna come to actually inject into our arms that would be helpful. And right in the midst of that, they began to open up the White Mountain Trails. And so July 2020, I found myself up in the White Mountains and I was halfway up summiting Mount Musalaki. Anybody ever climb moose? They call it the easiest of the 48, 4,000 footers. I think Tecumseh's easier, um, but moose is pretty awesome and you do get a great payoff at the top with the view, it's a bald top. Um, We're going up the tough trail. I've got my teenager with me. He's 14 years old, as well as his buddy, Dylan, also 14 years old, and his dad, who is ridiculously, ridiculously, ridiculously fit. (laughs) And he's also the dad that has, like, all the cool toys. You know what I mean? Like, he's got, like, the GPS watch that's solar-powered, and, you know, we get to the top, and he flips out, like, a cutting board with, like, gourmet cheeses. It's just like, What? Um, so anyway, I'm hiking with Brian, Dylan, and my son, Cohen. We're halfway up the Beaver Brook, Brook Trail, which is the waterfall side. I highly recommend that as the way up Moose, even though it's a little tougher because it's just gorgeous. Just don't do it on a wet day. You'll probably die. Um, but we're about halfway up, and my heart rate's regulated. And we're having a little water break. Brian isn't. He's just, you know, no body fat, just 
talking, not even breathing hard. And I was like, Brian, I just had a memory. I used to do this. Like 20-ish years ago, when I was 14, like Cohen's age, I, I used to hike mountains along the Appalachian Trail near my parents' house in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. We'd like drift down into the Appalachians and we'd climb mountains. I remember free climbing. I hadn't thought about this in over two decades. And all of a sudden, here I was, and I was remembering something from when I was my son's age. By the time I got to the top, I was like, I, I love this. I, I miss this. I haven't hiked outside for 20 years. So I finished my first peak. Many of you know there's 48, 4,000 footers in New Hampshire. Um, it's a pretty coveted list if you can hike them all. And so Brian told me about that at the top, and, you know, he was already at 17. And... Uh, we get down, we rest. The next day, the kids are like, we want to hike again. So we go and we do the Osceolas. And so I'm at the top of the Osceolas. We've done both of them. I'm, I'm sitting at three in two days. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, I'm going to climb these things in a year. That's going to be my goal. I'm going to use my pandemic time. I'm going to reinvest my plane miles into feet miles. And I'm going to try to climb all 48 of these mountains in a year. So the next weekend, Tavin, who at that time was 10 or 11, somewhere around there, um, he decides we want to go up and hike. And so we're going to go for the Hancock. So we're going to go for peaks four and five. And we're driving into Lincoln, and on the left is a mountain wanderer. It's a store run by um, this, this legend in the White Mountains whose name is Steve. And if you think of, like, what would a legend in the mountains look like, like, just close your eyes. Okay, yep, you've got Steve, okay? It's, like, all here and here, and he's, he, he's a hiker body. Um, and he runs this mountain store, and we just needed a map, and we go inside, and on the counter I see the red Bible uh, of the White Mountains, which Steve wrote. Um, and then I look behind the register, and it's, it's Steve. Steve. And so we're chatting with him, and he's curious about what we're doing. I told him essentially the story I did without all the own the room drama. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of talking with him. And we're, we're going to leave, and we're on our way out. And he goes, young man. And I hit Tavin. I'm like, hey, he's trying to talk to you. And he goes, no, 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 dad young man. I'm like, oh, yeah, Steve? And he just looks at me like Kenny Rogers stone cold. And he's like, go slow. Now the pastor of me was like, that'll preach. And the hiker in me was like, okay, I'm going to go slow. So we got the finishing picture. This is from November of last year, and up on Mount Washington, did it in 16 months. And what you can see is it is an absolutely gorgeous November day on Mount Washington. There was not a single wisp anywhere within 100 miles. Very rare up there. Great day. What you can't see is that in my mind, I don't care that it took me 16 months instead of 12. Because I listened to what Steve said and I enjoyed it. And I remember every trail, every view, I remember the conversations I had, and here it is, the problems I took into the mountains to think about. My team would actually start to get worried. They'd be like, Oh no, Doug's going hiking. He's going to go solve something that he's been sitting still on 
for weeks. And when he comes back, they would tease me. And like most of them aren't believers, obviously, but they would tease me. You know, they, they know it. They'd be like, it's going to be like Moses coming down from the mountain. Like, I get it. And so it's going slow, and it's stepping still. For me, those have been my biggest lessons. Dorothy Sayers, if you haven't read this little, little piece she has called Why Work Matters, it's phenomenal. And number one, I think it's helpful to you as a pastor as a ministry leader, a missionary, whatever it is that you're doing. But for your people in the marketplace, this thing will preach. Here's what she says, just one small little thing. We, made in God's image, should make things as God makes them. For the sake, and this is my favorite part, of doing well, a thing that is well worth doing. Made in God's image, we should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well, a thing that is worth doing. You're like, Doug, what about the frenzy? What, I, I mean, have you forgotten? I know you've been out of it for six years. Like, have you forgotten the vocational ministry frenzy? Like, no, I, I remember it. Pressure like the drip, 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 that'll never stop. I, I got it. Pressure like to tip, 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 till you're ready to pop. Whoa, nobody. <laughs> Give it to your pastor, he is wiser. That's not in it, but that's what they do. And part of that, let's be honest, that's a discipleship issue. How many of you have met with someone with something in a crisis and they have no union with Christ? and they haven't taken it to him yet. It's just, just happens to me? Okay, cool. Our church, Dave, Dave leads, a lot of uh, the other great leaders in the room, just love them all, we love this church. We're studying the Psalms of Ascent right now. A couple different resources we offered to the book, uh, to, to the church, and we had some books out there. Uh, we were pushing the veal the first weekend, and the veal was Eugene Peterson's Alone Obedience in the Same Direction, sold out. <laughs> Did it sell out again? I don't see any out there right now, so it's gone again, right? Classic. Flip it open, the very beginning, chapter one, Eugene Peterson quotes, if you're worn out in this foot race with men, from Jeremiah 12.5, what makes you think you can race against Horses. And then he flips Nietzsche's phrase on its head and talks about the long obedience in the same direction. When we're frenzied, for almost everybody in this room, I am, I am age profiling right now, almost everybody. We are still really in foot race with men part of our vocational callings. God hasn't yet prepared us or trained us, and we haven't availed ourselves yet of that preparation and training to yet run with the horses. But God wants to. And that's part of the heartbeat of Evergreen. 
I mean, that is the spiritual formation, the spiritual friendship, the effective communication, and the kingdom leadership. That's why those values are so important to us. It's doing the thing well that is worth doing well. Now, (laughs) I'm really here to talk about communication, uh, which I haven't done yet, notably. How many of you remember DVDs? Good. I asked that question with um, one of the highest up teams at, uh, at a company you know really well. Um, I, I can't really talk about who they are, but their founder is Mark Z. Um, and we're in the room with all their, their global leadership team, and I asked the same question, and there was only one hand that came up. I was like, okay, this is a problem. So on DVDs, who remembers director-style commentary? Yeah? All right. I saw some smiles. Um, what, those of you who smile, you're laughing, what, your thumbs up. What, what, tell us what it was. I saw you give your thumbs up. What's your name? Courtney. Yes. Like, this is what happened behind the scenes. This was an ad lib line. This is what the actress did here that was brilliant. This is what the filmmaker was going for. This is what the cinematographer did. We cut this whole scene. Uh, here's how we changed it. It's like all this stuff to explain why they, did, why they did that. Why am I bringing that up? Because I have been talking about communication for 29 minutes if you may intention. So we're gonna toggle the switch over on the DVD remote, and now we go director-style commentary. I'm gonna tell one more story, and after that, I'm gonna open it up for just straight Q&A, and I want you to tell me and point out what did you notice? What did I do from a communication perspective that you noticed? It could be something small, something massive, and I don't need an ego boost. It's not about that. I'm using it as a palette to understand what effective communication is. You can also ask any questions. Why did you film that? Why did you write that scene that way? Why did you do it that way? You can also try to stump me with the most difficult question about communication that you think. Everybody understand that challenge? All right, the last story, and this is for Brandon and everybody else because he asked me earlier, he's like, wait a minute, so you were a pastor and you were a chef? So how'd that happen? But it ties in to the heartbeat of communication for me and why I'm doing what I'm doing. When I was 14 years old, I had grown up adjacent to the church. I was befriended in my high school through contact work by a Young life leader. I gave a key phrase. I knew if they heard contact work, they would know what it was. Contact work is when the leader would go hang out in the schools, volunteer to coach a team or whatever with the purpose of relational evangelism, sharing Christ with Jesus. So I became a follower of Jesus outside the church, was grafted into the church. When I went to college at a a private uh, liberal Christian arts uh, school, um, I began to look for a local church. It was very disorienting for me. I didn't really understand the differences between Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Pentecostal. I seemed to find in the Pentecostals something that I was drawn to um, right up until the guy came behind me in the bathroom and I had a nosebleed because it was nine degrees that morning and we were living in a dorm and he came up behind me as I was taking care of my nosebleed and he said, you got the blood of Jesus running through you and I was like, I don't think that's true. I think I have an issue where in the winter I get these nosebleeds and sometimes in really terrible moments. 
But I was attending this Pentecostal church, and then we ended up finding another church. It was a non-denominational. I didn't know what that meant, but it, it felt like the right place. And um, when I graduated college, my wife still had another year. And so we needed to stay relatively close. And I was planning on going on staff with Young Life. I was on staff with them for four years during college, raising support. And I, I just couldn't get there, like, support-wise and look her dad in the eye and be like, no, Dale, I totally got this. Um, so I just started driving around to look for a job, because that's how you did it in 2001. And I found uh, myself in front of the nicest restaurant in town called the Springfield Grill. And I walked up and I knocked on the door because they had this little sign out front that said assistant chef wanted. And I was like, I can do that. And so I'm an Enneagram 3 if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, so I go knock on the door and Teresa's there, the chef, and she's like, okay, well, do you have any culinary experience? No. And she said, okay, um, have you ever worked in a kitchen? No. And her eyes just kind of glazed over and she, and like literally she's prepping for the day. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And she's like, you're wasting my time. And I said, well, I'm really responsible. I can work whenever you want. And I don't do drugs. And she was like. <laughs> so I started the next morning. And she gave me, like, literally my first job in the restaurant. She handed me a tub of onions. And she was like, cut those onions. And I was like. How? <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh. So she cuts the ends off, splits them in half, boom, puts them down, shows me how to peel off the skin real quick, shows me how to curve my hands down, how to run the knife down like that. And I'm like, okay, cool, got it. And it was a tub like this. And about 10, 12 minutes later, I was like, okay, I'm done with that. And she's like, you're what? I'm like, I don't know, so you gave me the tub of onions. So next she showed me how to chop up some other things that she needed in prep, some other things. I was just working really quickly. I didn't think I was working quickly. I was just listening to directions and you know, reference previous thing about all my brain cells being there. And within two weeks, she had me on the line in the evenings. I was no longer prep cooking. And within 30 days, she was asking me to cover the kitchen for her on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, which were slow. And I was in charge of all the culinary kids that, by the way, all did drugs. And I was in charge of the kitchen. So that was my first job. That's how I provided for our little family. This is my wife and I. And after about seven months, I got a call from the church I've been attending, a non-denominational church, senior pastor there, a guy named Jay Passavant, a great mentor and, and spiritual father in the Pittsburgh area, just tragically passed away last year. And Jay called me and he said, Doug, can you come have lunch tomorrow? I want to hire you and I want you to move down this way, and I want you to do Young Life-style ministry in the context of the local church. I was like, yeah, I'm there. And then I woke up the next morning, which was September, <laughs> September 11th, 2001. <laughs> yeah, dropped my wife off, heard the news. We still met. I started on the 16th. And I did that for 15 years, planted churches, degree at Fuller, all that kind of stuff. But for me one of the heartbeats of how I try to communicate the gospel and lead from the stage is following one of the things that the founder of Young Life, Jim Rayburn, said, which I absolutely love. It is a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. 
And I, I actually think it's a sin to bore anybody with the gospel. And so fast forward 15 years, we were moving up here to New Hampshire. I was considering maybe doing something similar up here, um, but I was in a sabbatical season for a, a lot of reasons that I'm happy to talk about over a beer or on a hike um, on one of those mountains when you're winded. And, and I got a call literally out of the blue from a guy named Bill, who was the CEO and founder of Own the Room. He is the CEO still. He is my boss. Um, and, and Bill said, uh, hey, I want to hire you to be a communications coach. And I was like, okay, sorry. I, I don't think I applied for a job. You know? and, and, and what had happened was he had had lunch with someone from my church, and that person knew that I was moving up here and knew I was in between things and knew that I loved communicating and was you know, relatively gifted at it. And so Bill went to the church's website, and he binge-watched three of my sermons, and then he was trying to get me to come to New York and hire me. And four weeks later, I was working at the company. I thought it was going to be like a temporary thing that I did, but here I am six, you know, six years later uh, running the thing. But still my heartbeat is this room, and it's helping equip leaders for the kingdom to communicate the gospel in a language that people can understand. So with that, I'm going to stop, and now I want you to raise your hands and ask questions. I want this to be very interactive. So what did you notice? What questions do you have for the, for the director-style commentary, or any other tough questions about communication? Who's got the first one? Let's start with what did you notice? Yeah. Good pause for a couple of seconds to let us catch up with you. Great. And there's only, we'll build on that. There was only one time where I repeated a sentence, and it was because it wasn't, it wasn't up on the screen, but there was a second half of that sentence that I wanted you to capture, and I looked around the room, and I saw that people were taking notes, and it was the Dorothy Sayers one. And if you go back and you play the tape later, you can see that the first time I did it, I did the same pace, and I paused, and I said, this is the part I really like, and then I slowed down on the second half of the sentence. And then the second time I did it, I really went fast in the beginning, hard pause, let your pens catch up, and then I gave you the seven words I really wanted you to capture. A good eye. What else? What else did you notice? Again, this is not about me. This is to help. Yeah. You made it personal. Yeah, tell me more. How did I make it personal? You had created your own stories what you were saying. You talked about how Absolutely. Very good. Um, so one of the things that is most challenging is to allow your true, authentic self to come out. And one of the best ways to do that is just personal stories, just letting people know who you are. And it's an incredibly difficult thing for leaders to do, and there is a tipping point where like a little too much vulnerability is a little too much, um, but you have to manage that tension, you'll make mistakes, and you ask for feedback, and you get better. But yeah, great point. What else, what else did you notice? Yep, Joanna. Fantastic. So, um, <laughs> yes. So we call that a theme song, that the normal theme song, um, and this is how shows began back in the day. They would sort of have this iconic theme song at the beginning. 
And that iconic theme song is how the show would begin. So if you were watching Happy Days, um, you know, your show really wouldn't begin until after the first set of commercial at like 7.06. And what would happen, there might be a little snippet, but then there was a theme song which you knew. And so you could go to the kitchen during the theme song, sing along, but you could make your sandwich and the commercials were going, and then you'd sit back down. Eventually the advertisers realized this was a problem. Why? Because who's, who wants to pay for people to be in the kitchen during your advertisement? Okay? And so eventually what happened is they started to lengthen what is now called the cold open. Most of us when we speak, when we preach, when we teach, we don't use a cold open. And you all, I guarantee, I have them too. We have our own versions of theme songs. Hey, great to see everybody in the congregation today. You know, hey, if we could all slide in a little bit and we're in this series and here's what the series is about and last week we did this. Like all that stuff's important. Put it somewhere else. Even in your sermon. If you gotta do it in your sermon, that's fine. But what are you gonna do at the beginning to capture the hearts and the imagination and the minds of everybody in your congregation or in whatever it is that you're communicating? And you constantly wanna do something different. So I knew what? I knew you were coming off of a break. I knew it was a nice day. I knew there were going to be people that were still in the hallway. So I knew I had to stand everybody up, and then I could draw you right into my story. But if you lost the goalie story and you missed the four, five minutes at the beginning, would you be lost the rest of the time? No, you wouldn't. You just missed that illustration. So I'm thinking about that stuff strategically in my plan. Okay. What else? What else did you notice? Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Can I just tell you guys a little secret? <laughs> okay. we, again, I, I'm not going to name all the companies, but, you know, let's just say, you know, a very popular search engine, um, a, a, um, a company with a little bird as a logo that a crazy rocketeer is going uh, to buy, maybe, maybe not. Um, and, um, you know, we know, we know the folks that are designing all the stuff that we use. We work with them all the time. We know the engineers, we know the project managers, we know the leadership stuff. We're in the room where it happens. And most of the ones that I know, personally, have told me at dinner or lunch or breakfast or drink or coffee or a conversation in their hallway, they don't let their own kids use their own product. So just be careful there. And I learned that by watching them. So I'm in these big tech companies, and you would think, like, everybody's on iPads and that, you know, they're having meetings in VR or whatever in the, <laughs> I don't know, verse. And, 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 and no. You want to know what a lot of them use? Like pen and paper? There's no phones anywhere. They, like, have them silenced and shut off and in the pocket if they have them. So it's very normal to say everybody laptops down, phones upside down. When you have something important to communicate, it's completely normal. So yeah, that's almost a reflex for me at this point. What else did you notice? Oh yeah, hey Brandon. You've got essentially a triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So we're going to come back to that, and that's our space. Um, and there's an intentional reason why we use the space. Um, Dave uh, has gotten really good at using his space 
on this stage where he preaches. And um, even when we transitioned to COVID, it was very effective because you know, he would sort of capture the sermons here typically, um, and, and it would help communicate in a different way. So I want to come back to that in a moment, uh, and there's a specific reason I'm holding it. What else did you guys know? So there's a couple other things. Yeah, is that Nate? Yeah. All right, good. Fantastic. Nate, um, you're going to get the second gold star of the day because I was, by the way, another pro tip here, I was fishing. So it's called the Socratic method. So I want to talk about something specific that Brandon just brought up, but I, I don't want to push all the content to you, okay? This is real director's commentary here. So what Brandon brought up is called the fourth dimension, and it's our space. So we're going to come back to that in a second. There's three other dimensions. So if I jump off of something I'm fishing for, but it's the fourth one. So how engaged are you gonna be if I just push all the other three dimensions to you? Instead, I was like, okay, well, let me fish a little bit more. And guess what? I, I just caught the fish I was looking for, which is one of these two dimensions. So he just named this one. So gold star for Nate. Um, Brandon, we'll give you like a half gold star. Half. All right, see if we fill it out later. All right, so the four dimensions of communication, I want to talk about those, but go ahead. Yeah, sometimes well, sometimes not well, and you know what? That's okay. It's completely okay. But yes, let your personality out. I, you do plan a couple good jokes. The others, you just kind of read the room and kind of go on the fly. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to talk about the four dimensions because I think these are key. So the first dimension is content. Content is king or queen. You decide, but it is the most important. If you dress up content with all these other dimensions, but your content is bad, guess what you've got? Really fancy bad content. Content is king or queen. It is the first dimension. It is the most important. Content are the words that are actually coming out of your mouth as well as anything else that you're using to communicate, which could be your face, your emotions, all the other dimensions I'm gonna talk about, and the interactivity between you and your audience, okay? First dimension, content. Second dimension, anybody wanna guess what it is? No one said it yet in this room. You were the closest. No. 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 It's your voice. Pause, pitch, speed, inflection, how loud or soft you are, how fast or slow you are. Voice, second dimension. Pause, pitch, speed, inflection, how fast or slow, loud or soft that you are. And it also includes the rightly timed, world-class, Pause. Right up until it's awkward. That's how long, which is about two to three seconds. Third dimension is your body language. Body language is what Nate was just talking about. Body language is everything your body is doing, which also includes your face. And we've measured it with our friends at MIT using a pretty cool system that we have. Over 50% of what you're communicating is right 
That's why emoticons are so powerful, because there's so much emotion in the face. So third dimension is your body language, which also includes your face. Now, fourth dimension, where I talked about, it's your space. So for a normal communicator, you might see someone spend how much time on their content? From zero, 50%, 100%. How much time will they spend on their content? Show me with your fingers. Each finger is 10%. The, the correct answer is here to here. That's what most communicators do. 90 to 100% of their time, they're focusing on the content and not paying attention to the other three dimensions. Now, content is king or queen, but you already have what? You already have enough content. <laughs> Almost always, you already have enough content. What do you need to do? You need to make sure you communicate. And you need the other dimensions to do that. So the second dimension is your voice. Um, you notice this with me. You called out my pause, um, a certain strategic times where I paused. There are other times where I sped up. There are other times when I slowed down, and I did it on purpose. When I was talking about the goalie thing, I talked really fast. I talked about 145 words per minute. That's about what I'm at right now. Okay? I was going really fast. Why? Because I wanted to communicate frenzy because of the question. And I wanted to trick most of you to leaning left or leaning right, which I successfully did, other than those that were confused. <laughs> but then, when I was ready to make my point and transition to the next thing, I slowly paused. I took that as an opportunity to come over, glance at my notes, which, yes, I have. And I looked at what line I wanted to land, and then I got got it right, and I made sure I landed it. So I went back to my content, but I used the voice to get ready to really deliver the content. Third dimension is your body language, and when you think about this, you see someone talking like this, and they're doing things like this. Is this body language? Yes or no? Some people are nodding. Some people, everybody's nodding yes. I see a little bit of a shrug and a probably. What's behind the Probably. Okay, very good. You get a gold star. Man, I'm just like throwing them out today. Um, usually it's like one a day. All right. It's not. This is what we call body noise or a dinner in the north end. Like you decide, but it's just, <laughs> it's just body noise. Why? Because it's not in harmony with your content. Body language is when your words are in harmony with your content and it's all working together. Make sense in theory? Now, that doesn't mean that you should stand here with your, with your body like this and be rigid. Like, this is better. There's energy here that's being used. And you want to use energy when you communicate for another reason, which maybe someone will ask about a little bit later. Okay? But in general, you want to be thinking about three to four times during maybe 20 to 25 minutes where you have a world-class piece of body language that helps communicate the message you're trying to communicate. Like an example of this, it might be what, sorry Dave, can I stop using you as an example? Or should I keep doing it? I'll keep doing it. Pastors need encouragement. Pastors need encouragement. I'll keep it going. So with the prayer, what did he have us do with our hands? Show me. Why did you remember that? Because it was in a different dimension than him just speaking it. That's the power of using the other dimensions. They act like file folders in your audience's brain. 
and you're giving them a category to put something in, and then they can put it back in. They are much more likely to remember it. I mean, preachers have stumbled on this, right? I mean, this is why you use props on stage, you know, and we can kind of take those a little bit too far um, sometimes. <laughs> I think about that video that was going around about eight or nine years ago, the bat, you know, you guys remember that? I think it was like Emergent or something was the name of the video. It was funny. Um, but, you know, we can take the props a little too far, but that's why props are powerful. Like, if you're going to preach and talk about an altar, like, if you can just get, like, one good New Hampshire granite stone on the stage, like, that's going to pop for people a little bit, okay? And that moves us into that fourth dimension, which is your space. So your space is the stage where you are. And that includes where you're standing, but it also includes the use of props or other things. So this is deliberately kind of off to the side for me. It's where my notes are. That's so I can have the center of the stage to do most of my walking and communication. Um, Brandon picked up on the fact that I was kind of working a triangle around the room. Uh, did you guys notice anything about names? I was using as many names as I could learn this morning during my communication because and then I'm looking for those anchor points around the room. I, I met Paula. I used her as an opportunity to get her table to stand up, and it really hushed the crowd down. I, you know, I, I met other people at my table. I met other people around. So you're trying to do that. When you're using your space, it's the whole room, but it's also where you're standing, and it's trying to communicate on purpose. Okay? You want to talk about <laughs> Jesus and judgment? Read the passages in the Gospels. Do you notice what side the judgment is always on? It's on the left. Always. You gotta preach that. You gotta show us that the judgment is on the left. And every time you talk about the judgment or the wrath or some of those other things that we will and need to preach about, it's gotta be over here. You gotta block it out for your audience and help them imagine it to understand it, to give their brain the file folder that they need. And the opposite of judgment is over here. And it's the freedom and it's the grace and it's all those things, okay? So those are the four dimensions of communication. All right, six minutes left. We got other questions? Dave? Yep. Yeah, great. So for, for communicators all over the world, any culture, any environment, it's very simple. The biggest mistake we make is trying to be somebody that we're not. Don't do that. Be yourself. There are different styles. There are different tones. Now, what that doesn't mean is you shouldn't watch other people, and we would call it stealing like an artist, or you can just say steal like a, steal like a preacher or steal like a leader, whatever you want. Um, and you think of like, oh, he tells stories great, or uh, she asks brilliant questions when the audience is interacting, or um, she is great at how she structures her talk, or the way that he uses data and research when he preaches is fascinating to me. So you just think of all those like arrows in your quiver, but you still want to be yourself, your most authentic self. 
What else? Dave, did I get at the question? Is that what you're fishing for? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. High five. Yeah, that's good. Yep. And then I'm coming here next. Yeah, thanks. It's Allie, right? Yeah, nice. We were supposed to connect. Great. Um, so um, Allie's asked a great question, and that is the Socratic method. So um, what many of us will do is something a little bit more didactic, which is to just push content. And what you want to do as best as you're able is to try to pull something out of your audience so that they're saying it instead of you. Why? Well, think about everything that you're communicating. Think about you have a spotlight, and you're trying to spot shine the spotlight on content. And if you are just this brilliant, shining light of wisdom the whole time, what happens to everybody's eyes? <laughs> Start to hurt a little bit, okay? And you'll notice that. They'll disengage. They'll stop listening. Why? Because it doesn't matter how good you are as a communicator. Your voice is going to start to drone off, and they're just getting used to thinking about, okay, I'm going to think about something else because she's still talking or he's still talking. So you constantly want to break that up and you want to shine the spotlight on other people. You can shine that on a slide, you can shine that on a story, you can shine that on a video, you can shine that into the audience. And so shining into the audience, one of the best ways is that Socratic. So it's learning how to ask a brilliant question so you can get the answer that you're looking for. Okay? You just answered my question. I was going to ask, say you have a ton of data you have to give to an audience. Yeah. What would be the best um, so our brain doesn't think in words and numbers. It thinks in pictures and emotions. You want to test me? What did you eat for dinner last night? Okay, doesn't matter what it was. It can be the fast food, it can be the slow cook, it can be the prosciutto wrap scallop. How many of you thought of the words of what you ate? How many of you pictured what you ate first? It's all of you. Our brain translates words and numbers into pictures and emotions. That's how our memory works. It's actually the same way they've designed computers. The zeros and ones translate it into pictures and emotions that we humans can understand. But your brain's more complex. So, Socratic, what should you be doing as much as possible for your audience as you're giving them content? I'll give you a hint, Wycliffe. Boom, gold star. You should be translating as much as possible. If you put up a number on the screen and you don't translate it into a picture and emotion for them, you're missing your opportunity for them to remember the number and understand why you shared it. So instead of saying, uh, I won't, uh, well, I'll just use it. So Andy, what was the, what was the uh, what's the most recent percentage on passers? Okay, over 50%, okay? So right now, I wanna do this. Um, uh, Paul, your table's now gonna get to stand. Isn't that exciting? And then every table on this side, you're gonna stand too. Nice and quick, come on, four seconds. One, two, three, four. Guess what? Most recent statistics says you guys aren't in ministry anymore. Which was better? Okay, sit down. Do you get the idea? So it's communicating with pictures and emotions. Now, guess what? No one's going to forget that statistic because you just saw 60% of the room stand up. That's what we teach. So one number is better than four 
it's better than 10, it's better than 20, and you want to translate it for them. Same is true of other complex stuff. Okay, any other questions? Yeah. It 100% intended. So it's, it's what we call the Motown rule. And then Andy, you can, you can slide up next to me, man. No worries. Um, I, know, I know we're at time, so this will be the last one. And then I, I'll take more questions over lunch. I just hang. I can do this all day. Um, so uh, the Motown rule for slides. In Motown, let's say you were a Motown singer. You kind of got that vibe. <laughs> He's the star. Where does he belong? At the front. But what makes him look better and sound better? Back up dancers and singers. When you are communicating, you are the star. Your slides are the backup singers. Don't get them confused. They belong in the background. They should be minimal. They shouldn't be showing you up. There shouldn't be more of them than there are of you. They shouldn't be louder in the mix. They shouldn't be having their own parts and go in their own directions. They work for you. They're there to make you sound better and look better. For most of us, slides are a crutch. It's a crutch for lack of preparation and a lack of practice and a lack of knowing how to communicate really well. And I'm sorry to put it that harshly, but that is the truth. So a lot of the things that I just described, you don't need slides to do that. You use a few slides really well, and that actually will be different and will communicate something different as well. So common things to put on slides in our types of environments, it's going to be words. The quotes, um, an illustration, a picture, something that's going to help them understand something. Other than that, we have to do the hard work. We've got to do the translation, and we've got to get better. All right, I'll stop there, Andy. I know we got lunch. I know you got some announcements. So thanks. You guys have been great. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.